Welcome to episode 92 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Lila Hawley. How do you go from military member to award-winning author? We'll have to listen to Lila's story this week to hear how she did that. Lila is a multiple award-winning Amazon best-selling visionary author behind the Camouflage Sisters book series. The U.S. Army veteran honorably served 22 years on active duty and since retiring has helped 93 women become published authors, sharing their stories with the world. Lila is on a mission to empower storytellers to take ownership of their narrative and provide a safe place for women to share these stories. She believes there is no one better to tell these stories than the people who live them. It's another great episode, so let's get started. You're listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm Amanda Huffman. I'm an Air Force veteran, author of Women of the Military, and a collaborative author of Brave Women, Strong Faith. I am also a military spouse and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast as a place to share stories of military women past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show, Lila. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Well, I'm originally from New York State, upstate New York, and it was something, I don't know where it came from, but it was something that I wanted to do early on. And because of that, I joined junior ROTC in high school. And then, you know, I realized I was really good at it. Like I rose through the junior ROTC ranks really fast. I became like a natural leader. Kind of made sense because I'm the oldest of six kids. So that leader was always in me, I feel like. But then to see it in action in junior ROTC really kind of sparked the fire to really, really pursue a military career. And so I thought it was derailed because uh, I became a teenage mother. I had my first son at 15, and I thought that was going to prevent me from joining the military. But my family really supported me, and I was able to join once my son started a head start. I was able to join the military at 20 years old. Wow, yeah. So you were doing JROTC, and you were on like an exciting path to join the military, and then you became mom, and you kind of felt like that dream of joining the military was over. But through the support of your family and the Head Start program, you were able to join. Yeah, 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 I, I was. It, it, it made a world of difference. The desire to join never left me. And then when I saw the opportunity open up for me, I just jumped on it and didn't look back. So did you enlist into the Army? I did. I enlisted in the Army, active duty through the recruiter there in my hometown. It was pretty good. I, I was able to choose from, I scored pretty high on the ASVAB, so I was able to choose from some pretty good jobs. And I chose military intelligence as my career field. And I stayed in that career field my whole 22 years in the military. So you found something that was a good fit for you. Yes. <laughs> so what was it like to leave your son behind and go to boot camp and AIT and start your life in the Army while you had to leave your son behind because he couldn't go with you? 
Yeah, it was tough. You know, a lot of a lot of women that joined the military who are mothers beforehand, they find themselves in that situation. And it, it is a tough decision to make. It's a little easier when you have the support of your family. And that that made it a little bit easier. Um, I didn't want to put a major burden on them. And that's why I waited for him to join to uh, start school. And so it was tough. I really missed my family. I missed him. But that was my motivation to succeed and do well. And then when you finished AIT and went to your first base, did he move to where you were? No, not not immediately because my first assignment was in Korea. And so that was... Uh, oh. Okay. Yeah, it was an unaccompanied tour for one year in Korea. So, nope, he wasn't able to join me then. Out to the military. I know, right? <laughs> I was like, I don't know anybody in Korea. Why are they sending me over there? <laughs> okay, so you did basic AIT, and then you did your first year in Korea, and then you came back to the States. And what was that transition to come back after? I ended up being extended in Korea for one year. So it was in, ended up being a 13 month, uh, 13 month tour. I came in, in in 1990, right when the Gulf War was kicking off. So, you know, things got a little mixed up during that time. And so they were trying to figure out if they was going to extend us in Korea while the war was taking off in the Middle East and, and so much other stuff going on. But anyway, I eventually got out of Korea and was assigned to Fort Stewart in Georgia and went through the process of getting my son to come down there and live with me. Eventually got him down there with me and it worked out pretty good. It was it was tough at first being a single mom, but again, I just have been I felt like I've been blessed my whole career to have people surrounding me who took us under their wing, like adopted us as their additional family. And so it was easy to uh, implement a family care plan, to create a family care plan and implement it when necessary because I had those people around me who were like extended family to me. So that was exciting to have him with me, but it was still it was it was tough, you know, as a single mother in the military. Our schedules were demanding both for him and I, and it t- and it took a lot out of us, but I feel like we survived, even though when I look back over that time, it was a blur, like everything, you know, you do one day and you sl- you go to sleep and you start all over again and again and again and again. But we survived and 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 I'm grateful that we survived and, and it's due in part to the people that were surround, the families and the people that were surround us. Yeah, having that support network really helps and makes a big difference on your military experience. So that makes a lot of sense. And that's good that you had the support that you needed because I've talked to a number of mil- single moms and they talk about how challenging it is and how how hard it is to and like how they kind of have to do all these things and to have that support network is so important. Yes. What out of your career stood out from 1990 to 2001? We were like drawing down the end of the Gulf War. We were kind of in peacetime, and then September 11th happened. Did anything in that time period really stick out that you want to talk about? Well, yeah, actually, my career was going well. I was fast tracking in my career. I, like I said, I was military intelligence. I really enjoyed that. And then the opportunity came for me to transition over to becoming a warrant officer. And so I put in my warrant officer packet, eventually got selected for that and went to school and just, it took off from there. I was very fortunate in my career to work around some great warrant officers like that. They really set the standard for me, what a warrant officer was in the military and just the level of expertise that they bring to the organization. It it just really set the stage for me to, to want a desire to take my career down that 
that role. And so for those of you who don't know what a warrant officer is, because all the branches don't have them, I think the Air Force had them way, way back in the day. I know the Marines still have warrant officers in the Navy as well. But what it is, is a technical, it is an officer but it is a technically specialized officer. So for me, my career field was military intelligence. So what that means is that I was technically proficient in military experience, uh, military intelligence. I was an analyst. And so everywhere I went, that was my job. Whereas regular officers like a captain or a major, they will fall into staff positions like S1, S2, company command and stuff like that. Whereas a warrant officer, wherever I went as a, as a, a technical, as a warrant officer who was a military military intelligence analysts. I did my analytical job everywhere I went. So over time, I, Essence became an expert in my field. And so that's what that's what the Army looks at, as our, at, at their warrant officers as, the experts in their field because the Army trains us. First off, we're enlisted and we become specialized in that field at, during our enlisted time. We put in our packet where our packets are scrutinized and then we're selected in our field of expertise. And then throughout our training and our additional assignments and additional training, advanced level training, we are become actual experts in that field. That is the that's the uh, premise of what a warrant officer is. So my whole 22 years in the Army, I was an analyst, military intelligence officer, enlisted then warrant officer. Right. Yeah, that's a really good way to explain it, because when you were talking about like how officers have like their intel but then they also have the other responsibilities of like taking care of the squadron or going and doing staff work and being an officer and like you were just focused on the job and the mission that makes really that makes a lot of sense yeah i really enjoyed it there's a learning curve as you know with any anything that you learn but it but i was really grateful to have to have that that time to really learn my craft that the military trained me for yeah, so you became a warrant officer. How many years in the military did you have when you made that transition? Yeah, I was really young in my career, probably at my seven-year mark, which is really, really early in a career, you know, I guess in comparison to these days. I, I made rank really fast. Well, I came in because of junior ROTC, I came in with the little rank in the in the, to begin with. And then I really fast-tracked in my ranking, moving up the enlisted rank. Uh, I was, I made E6 in like five years. So, and that's because I, I had, I had great assignments and, and I, and I was like hungered for thirst and, and wanting to learn the job. So I was in Korea and then I was at Fort Stewart in a mechanized infantry division. And then from there I went to a joint assignment. And so that's kind of, it, it, I lucked out and I feel like I looked out in that regards because of my MOS military intelligence and the, in vast areas where I can, I could go in my, in my career. And so I did, I, I wanted to learn, you know, all aspects of military intelligence. And because of that, I felt like I was really well-rounded by the time I did make E6 so fast. And then by the time I put in my warrant officer packet, I felt like I was pretty well-rounded as a soldier and um, was excited to get picked up. That is exciting. I mean, it's an honor to be selected for a program yeah. like that. And so, especially being so young. So that's really cool. 2001 happens and September 11th kind of changed the military. I don't, I've talked to a lot of people and we didn't, we talked about how we didn't realize how big of an impact September 11th would have on the military. But you, I mean, you were in until th- 2012. So you kind of saw the whole evolution of, and you had been in for 10 years almost 11 years and when it happened and so what was it like to 
for that event to happen? Did you get, where were you and what, how did it change your life? Yeah, it, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm originally from New York, New York state. And so I knew immediately when it happened that our lives were, <laughs> our lives were going to change drastically. I knew it. I was at Fort Leavenworth and I was a part of the battle command and training program. So we were there conducting a training exercise with the 42nd Infantry Division. Elements of that organization were in uh, Fort Leavenworth with us going through their annual training exercise. And I know this specifically because four years later, in 2005, <laughs> I deployed with the 42nd Infantry Division. <laughs> I was attached to them as an augmentee and ended up deploying with them to Iraq for the war. It was so interesting to me being a native New Yorker and to be able to train with these individuals and just watching the aftermath of the attacks and how they impacted that unit specifically. Understanding, you know, analysts' point of view and, uh, and military intelligence person and having access to information, I understood watching them go through responding to the attacks and how it impacted their state and, and their reaction. It was just very interesting to be a part of that. We we cut the exercise short, obviously. They had to pack up and they had to as, assume their roles in the state of New York because they were National Guardsmen. They belonged to the state. And so they had to go back. They were very concerned about family members, obviously. And they had to go back to the state and secure the city and just take on different roles and responsibilities as a result of the attack. It was such an honor to me, again, as a native New Yorker, and then to be with them when the attacks happened and to see how they responded to then four years later in 2005, to be able to have the opportunity to be attached to the unit and then deploy with them to Iraq. It was just a great honor to be a part of that, that their legacy. Yeah. Especially you being from New York and like having that personal connection and knowing how much of an impact I think. Yeah. I, grew up in California, so I didn't understand really what was going on and how it would change the world and and how it would change my life. I joined the military because of that. Yeah. So. so let's uh, fast track forward to your deployment. And you said you were with an infantry infantry division yeah yeah my most of my most of my military career i was with i was tactical what they what the army calls tactical so i was with divisions mechanized infantry was mainly the type of divisions that i was assigned to 42nd i deployed with 42nd infantry division out of new york state which they call the rainbow division which has brigades all over the country and it was a unique setup because we had two brigades out of 3rd Infantry Division that fell under the division headquarters and then two National Guard brigades that fell under the division headquarters and that made up the division. So two active duty brigades out of 3rd ID and two National Guard brigades that actually belonged to 42nd made up the whole division. It was very unique structure to say the least. That's bringing in like two different types of cultures. And- Absolutely. <laughs> That's why it was so unique. And uh, me being at division, being a part of the division uh, headquarters, my objective was the mission. You know, I, I didn't care about, I didn't care. I was active duty, but assigned to a National Guard division. But the bottom line was we were there to save lives. And that was, that was my ultimate goal and objective. So putting culture to the side, putting all those eagles and things to the side. Let's just get this done. And that was, you know, the, the mentality that I went into it with. Yeah. 
what exactly were you guys, were you doing? I mean, you probably can't talk about all of it, but like, what was your like main mission or goal in like generalized terms? Yeah, we were directly for the division commander. We briefed him on the, you know, the intel situation daily. I oversaw the day shift analysts and just had a great opportunity to really groom and mold some young soldiers during this time, allowing them opportunity to brief and, and prepare briefings for the general, just giving them some great, you know, real life opportunities to, to hone their skills as intel analysts. And then I also created those relationships with the brigade S2s, shared information. And like I said, our, our ultimate objective was to make sure intel was analyzed properly, uh, correctly, and disseminated in a timely manner to save American lives. And did you feel any like discrimination because you were a woman and you were attached to an infantry unit? Or was that not something that you felt? Well, <laughs> I got a big mouth, number one, coming from New York. I just, I just, you know, my, like I said, and the fact that I, that I did have a little rank on my chest by that time, you know, I felt like once my learning curve, because I didn't initially start off with the unit, I was like a late attachment. So my learning curve was very steep. Once my learning curve got up to where it needed to be, when I became that valued member of the team, all of that was pushed to the side. I didn't, I, I never let it stop me. I never let it bother me. But my ultimate goal was getting up to speed, allowing my soldiers to get me squared away on the, the training and the information that I needed to mm-hmm. do my job effectively. And once I got there, I was considered a very valuable part of the team and a, and a trusted guide, trusted counselor to the to the general. And so by the by the end of that, I had grew so much as an analyst, as a warrant officer, as a woman, as a soldier, and as a leader. And it was all thanks to my team of soldiers, my efforts going in, understanding where I was weak and, and taking the time to really grow in my weak areas. And then that relationship that I was able to create with the command team there from the general on down to the rest of the staff and just really everybody having the mindset that we're here to a mission and we're here to work as a team to make sure we save lives. And at the end of it all, I felt like it was a great experience for me. That's good. And so after your deployment, you came back home and transitioned kind of back to normal life. And what was that experience like? Uh, It was, you know, that transition coming back is is tough. It takes time. And so I think that the, the toughest part of it is giving yourself time to make the transition. I was really concerned because my daughter was preparing to turn two at that time. I left her when she had just turned one years old. That was nerve wracking to come back to the unknown with her, you know. And once I got back, it, we fell right into the swing of things as uh, my role in the family. But I think the main thing, especially for those deployed the returner from deployment, so returner from time away from family is to, the big thing is give yourself time to make that transition to fit back into your family routine, you know, and don't feel overwhelmed by being back. Have a lot of communication between you and your spouse and your and your children so that they understand that you need this time <laughs> because for 12 months, your only companion is your weapon and your rucksack and all the gear that you have to wear, you know, and then all the other 
individuals floored with you. So getting back into the swing of things in a family environment, it just takes time. And I think for me, I gave myself that time. And the only reason why I knew that is because my husband deployed. My husband deployed first thing. I was dual military. And so my husband was deployed. He, he missed the whole pregnancy with my daughter. He was able to come home. She was about five days old. So he was able to come home and, and be with us for two weeks after she was born. But when he came back from deployment, I made the mistake of picking him up. I, we were so excited to see him. And so I felt, I figured, man, maybe he's excited to be home and wants to drive. So I said, hey, go ahead and drive us home. It wasn't a long drive, but it was drive nonetheless. And so after that, he told me, he was like, I really didn't want to drive. Like I didn't, you know, I have to slowly get back into the swing of things. And when he told me that, I kind of kept that mental mental memory of that. And I was like, okay, that makes sense that you need to slowly get back into the swing of things, that it's slow process of getting back to normal life, if you will. And so I appreciate, I thank him for telling me that and I appreciated him for being honest and, and telling me that. And I remember that when I came back myself and just me- remember to give myself time to make that transition back into regular, normal life. Yeah, it does take time. And I think sometimes you just want to be back home and you want like the deployment to be behind you. So you just want to like brush past that. But everybody's changed through the experience and you got to take that time to readjust back to normal life. That's true. It can't just happen instantly, unfortunately. So your husband was active duty too. So what was it like to be dual military and to have kids and like be in the army and... Oh, Lord. To be dual military, (laughs) it's tough. I'm not going to even lie to you. It is so, it is so tough. And I... I tell couples all the time, like, I would tell you, you just got to keep the communication open and you got to know what you're signing up for, right? And so me and my husband, we were a little older when we got married. I was uh, 30. He was 35. We were career soldiers at the time, you know, in our career, you know, in our careers for quite some time when we got married. And so uh, because of that, our first three years of marriage, we were in two different states. Like, um, unfortunately, We lived in two different states for the first three years of our marriage. And so we were career soldiers, considered career soldiers over 10 years in service. And so um, because of that, we, we, it just, we knew what we were signing up for. And we had a long discussion going into it. We knew what we were signing up for. Uh, My husband ended up on the promotion list, getting promoted, getting his platoon sergeant time. And so that kind of extended our time of separation. But, you know, I we had to give him that time to pursue those things for his career. And he also gave me time to pursue the things that I needed to pursue for my career. And so we knew going into it what we were signing up for. And so because of that, I think if you go into knowing, knowing what you're signing up for, I think that makes a world of difference. Because of that, I tell people our honeymoon lasted five years. <laughs> the first three years we lived in two different states, so we're seeing each other like every three, four months, right? And then we finally get stationed together and then he deploys probably four months into us living together. <laughs> he deploys for the uh, the war. And then he comes back, I deploy, and, and that's, that's five years. And so in essence, the first five years of our marriage we shared the same address for probably about nine months of that time. And so, um, and then from there we, we went on, but we'll be celebrating 20 years married this year. So thank God, you know, we survived that and, 
And like I said, we knew what we were signing up for because I feel like because we were a little bit older, we were a little bit more tolerant. But it was frustrating. It was I was like, who gets married to live states, you know, a couple of states away from their husband? Nobody does that, right? And so I'm like, man. Uh, people right and so he reminded me he's like well we knew what we were signing up for you know and i'm like well this is pretty frustrating but we pushed pushed through and we survived and here we are in 2020 getting ready to celebrate 20 years married so i'm I'm glad we hung on congratulations yeah thank you i'm so i'm so glad we hung in there and, and we made it so but that time away really really strengthened our communication we really became best friends just sharing and talking with each other and just really strengthening our friendship over the distance. I I would tell you that is like the foundation of our relationship. And that is the thing that really, really saved us. Yeah, I would say the same thing with my husband and I. We we did active duty dual military for six years and we had to spend a lot of time talking on the phone. And so we... We like to talk to each other because we always talk to each other. And like, that was the only way we could connect was to yeah. talk. And so I think that that builds a good foundation and it's, it forces you to have that open communication if you're like always talking to each other. Yeah. 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 Is there anything from when you got home from your deployment to when you transition that you want to cover before we jump into your transition story? Well, I, I would say that service members and uh, military members are really successful based on the support of their families. I will tell you that is a critical piece. And for me, my husband actually retired while I was deployed to Iraq. And so when I came back, he was he had already transitioned out of the military, was full-time preparing to uh, be a full-time student and to be at home with our daughter, you know, while I finished out the rest of my career. And so I had about I say about seven more years, five, uh, five more years. In that time, I ended up moving my, well, the last five years of my career, when we came back from Hawaii, I ended up moving my family four times in five-year period. And yeah, I know it's a lot, but it, it, it was a lot. And it was a lot to ask of my family, my husband, especially. But I feel like because he supported my career, because he supported me during that time and he was flexible, understanding that it was needed for me to finish out my career. He supported me and, and, and I was only successful because of his support. During that time, I, like I said, I came back from Iraq. He was, he was transitioning out of, out of, out, retiring out of the military. We moved to Hawaii. And then I, after my assignment in Hawaii, I was up for branch manager for the military intelligence warrant officers. And that's a, that's a very competitive assignment. So once I was selected, it was all dependent on me taking the assignment and then being open to moving to Alexandria, Virginia, where the branch was initially and they were preparing to transition to Fort Knox. <laughs> and so that means, like I said, over a four-year period of time, I was, in essence, going to move my family four times. In a five-year period of time, I was going to be moving my family four times. And so I talked talked it over with my husband and he agreed. And uh, he supported me in it. And because of that, I was able to get that assignment and retire out of that position, which, uh, again, I said is is a very competitive position. And so I was grateful for all the support of my family, all the things I was able to do in Hawaii. I traveled a lot because of my job over there. My hours were crazy over there. 
And I just look back over, you know, the last seven years of my career and the things that I was able to accomplish was due in part to the support of my family. So for the spouses listening and for the service members listening, remember to take that into consideration as you prepare for your transition out of the military. Take your family's needs into consideration. And for the spouses, remember that you play a very significant role in the success of your service member. My husband, for him to support me and to be open to move in like four times, <laughs> you know, it, it, some places we didn't even pack boxes because we knew in the year we were going to be moving again. But to have that support really, really put my mind at ease. And it just was one less thing that I had to stress out about in an effort to stay competitive, to stay uh, proficient on my job and to go after you know, a great assignment, actually. And it's a team effort when you're in the military and your family is a big part of that too. So that's the main thing that I really would share with the listeners. Yeah, I think that's an important thing for people to remember that the families have to make a lot of sacrifices and it makes it so much easier when the spouse or the family is on the the supportive role of the service member because it makes it easier. And it's really hard to be a military spouse. I can tell you that for sure. I know, I know. So I want to share that. I know it is tough, especially, but you have the luxury of having worn the uniform. A lot of spouses have never worn a uniform and sometimes they don't understand what a significant role they play in the success of their service member. And so I just wanted to share that. Uh, the family is a huge element that for a lot of service members, that is their safe space. And so for their spouses to be understanding, supportive is imperative to their success. So true. Yeah, it's so true. So let's talk a little bit about your transition. So you left the military after 22 years. Your husband had been out for about seven years, and now you guys are finally free from the military. (laughs) So what was that transition like? Well, I will tell you, uh, I went into it like everything else in my career. I was ready for transition. I feel like 22 years was quite enough time to give to the Army, and I was ready to make that move to retiree. And so I went into it like everything else in my career with a can-do attitude, like I got this, Chief is going to knock it out like she knocked out everything else, and it wasn't wasn't nothing like that. (laughs) (laughs) It, It was quite an emotional journey. It was very emotional, something that I really was not expecting. Yeah. And I feel like, man, if somebody would have just told me that it was going to be this way, I would have been better prepared. But it was it. I felt things that I really wasn't expecting to feel like I missed the military. I had gave 22 years to the military. What was I doing (laughs) missing the military? You know, I felt a little lost and confused and, and hurt and abandoned. Like nobody's calling, checking on chief no more. You know, it's, I don't have a formation to go to. I just, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of emotions that you go through when you transition out of the military. And, and no matter how ready you are for it, there is an emotional process, an emotional transition that you absolutely have to prepare yourself for and you have to go through. And once I realized that, once I learned that and I realized that, the transition became a little bit smoother, but it but it was a process for me to get there. So now I, I share that story with others. I share with them my transition story and, and I warned them about those that emotional process of leaving the military behind. I don't care if you did three years or 33 years, there's going to be some emotion because there's such a, a such an intense indoctrination into the military that transition process is just as in it's it just as intense leaving it behind yeah and i think 
part of the like problem with transition is you like can't explain it so that someone who's still in can understand. I've been trying to tell my husband like, you know, this is what's coming, and he's just like. You have four heads. I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, it's like talking two different languages. And- Listen, I know. And I tell people all the time, I tell them, get ready because you're going to go through, you know, the emotions and all that stuff. And they're always like, oh, I'm so ready to retire. I'm so ready to get out. I'm so ready for this. And I'm like, okay. And I just sit back and I just wait. And then, they, and then you know, months later, they're like, you know what you said before? You were right. <laughs> Just, just let him be, and when he transitions out, he's going to be like, oh, now I get it. Now I see what you were talking about. Because it is hard to put it into words, and I, and I think for me, that was the hardest part, finding the words and trying to explain to my husband, who had transitioned before me, the words to explain, to express what I was feeling inside and why I was, you know, having these, you know, different personality traits pop up that were nothing like me. You know, I, be, I began to lash out with anger. That was unlike me, I, you know, characteristically unlike me who I was. And so he called me out one day and was like, well, what's going on with you? Like, what's, you're not acting like yourself. What's wrong with you? And I, and so I just started explaining to him. I said, I, I never thought I would feel like this. I said, but I feel, I, I miss the military. You know, I feel like my identity is gone. I feel like everything I've worked so hard for is dismissed and nobody really cares. You know, just, just sharing with him some of the things that I was feeling inside and some of the uh, emotions that I was trying to process. And during that time, he really encouraged me to, to talk with someone, to go to the VA and talk with someone at mental health, something I, ha- I had never, ever done in my 22-year military career because I possessed a top-secret clearance, which, you know, and am I, you know, you, you can't can't do anything to jeopardize that. And so I didn't. I held a lot of things in. And because of that, I realized that I didn't have a good, healthy system in place to process those emotions. And that's where I got caught up in not being able to try what I was feeling, not being able to properly process the emotions that I was feeling. So once I did get that guidance from my husband and allow myself to go in and seek out that resource at the VA, it did help me a lot. And and the, the things that I had already started to implement for myself, to move through that tough time, I was reassured that I was on the right track and I would get through it just fine, uh, which was comforting. You know, it was really comforting just to talk with somebody to reaffirm to you that, hey, no, this is a normal part of the process. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it through. This is normal, you know, and so let's just figure out what you need to do to kind of work through it and get you to the other side of it. Yeah, that makes sense. So how did you start Camouflage Sisters? How did that come about? Yeah, so that started during that transition. Like I said, I started journaling. That was one of the things that I implemented to help me move through that because I understood, like you said, it's hard to find the words sometimes. So for me, journaling and writing things out helped me find those words. And so because of that, I understood the power of our words. In addition to that, I started asking a lot of questions. I just asked other women veterans. I was like, did y'all go through this? Like, I cannot be the only person who's going through this struggle. And sure enough, I was reassured by my sisters and ours who have went for me that it's just a normal part of the process. But in that asking of their of questions to other women veterans, I learned that they had some amazing, amazing stories. And I was like, wow, you ladies really did a lot. Like the ladies who served, you know, before us and, and paved the way for us to be able to serve today, like the women who served during the Vietnam War and the women who served in the WAC, the Women Army Corps, just the things that they 
were able to endure and the, and the doors they were able to open up for us. I just was so in awe of that and just wondered, like, where are their stories at? Where are their stories being captured? Where are these stories being collected and shared with the next generations, the generations to come? And they're not in any of the history books. They just are not. And so I wanted to create something from that that would allow women a safe place to share their stories, a place that would respect their stories, their voices, and a place that would honor their service. And that's kind of how Camouflage Sisters was birthed because I wanted to create that platform to do just that. And I feel like we've done a great job doing that. And here we are, six books published with 93 women sharing their stories. It's been an amazing, amazing journey. And I'm just in awe every day of how many women find the platform of value, how many women want to share their stories, have found the courage to want to share their stories on the platform. It's just been a wonderful, a wonderful journey for me. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really cool. I've been watching you for at least two or three years, watching what you guys have been doing. And for me, sharing the stories of women, I had a similar thing. I like started asking questions and then I was like, people need to know this because it's so cool. And I'm always blown away by each interview, just the stories. And like you said, I do a lot of freelance writing and I did an article about Vietnam women. And there's like, there's a lot of gaps in the information online. And there's like a lot of like, well, you know, we kind of know this, but like, nobody wrote it down and no one really kept track and there's so we need to tell those stories so that people know what women did and have done and what they continue to do so yeah absolutely I love any and, and you know in, in our community of women veterans I'm following a lot of you all and I'm so proud of the platforms that are popping up every single day every week every month that is allow that's allowing us women to share our stories in our own places I think that's the power of it. The fact that we get to share our stories and our own voices, we're taking back ownership of our narrative. Because, you know, when people think of women in the military, you know, the media and the things that we've heard previously are not so flattering. And But, you know, in your line of work and in my line of work, we know that women are, they're rocking it out every single day. They're crushing goals and they're making history every day. And so those are the stories that we want folks to remember about us who have served. And, and, and they'll hear about the general officer, but what about the warrant officer? What about that sergeant major or that staff sergeant who did an incredible thing during her career? You know, who's telling her story? And so I applaud all the ladies in our women veterans, women veteran community who are creating these platforms to share our stories. I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so was there anything from your experience that we missed or that you wanted to cover that we didn't get a chance to talk about? No, the only thing I would harp on in terms of transition is, again, just give yourself time. I, I think, like you said, we, we move so fast in things. You know, we move so fast. We move fast throughout our military career. And then now we're going to we want to move fast through transition. And then sometimes we'll get hung up with the emotions of it all, still trying to move fast. But not understanding that, hey, I got to give myself time. I got to slow down a little bit. I have to be kind to myself. I have to be forgiving of myself. And I especially have to be loving to myself, celebrate my successes, and not beat myself up too much where I feel like I'm floundering or, or taking a little bit too long to move through a certain process or a certain emotion. That's one thing that I really, really harp on with my camouflage sisters. Self-care is a big thing. 
that women aren't so great at, <laughs> especially military women. We wear so many hats. We do so many things for so many others. Sometimes we leave the last breath of air we have for ourselves or the last crumb for ourselves. And I just want to remind women, especially our women, our sisters in arms, to take time for yourself in your transition. Give yourself time to move through that process effectively. Reach out to the resources available to you. The VA is a great resource. There are some fabulous people there that really want to see us succeed as we move through to this next chapter of life. And be loving and kind kind to yourself. Find a network of women, veterans, group, whatever group you, it, it may be camouflage sisters, it may be some other group. There are a lot of them out there, but find you a group of women who understand your journey, who understand what you're going through, where you can freely just express yourself and take a deep breath and just get it out with, and they'll understand what you're talking about, what you're going through. I think that is needed. And I think, you know, in the military, a lot of times as you're moving up the rank structure, a lot of times you're by yourself a lot. I know I was as I moved further, further up the rank structure. There just weren't a lot of women around me for mentorship or just camaraderie. They just weren't there. And so this transition, there's so many of us who have already gone before you connect with some of them. You don't have to do it alone. You absolutely do not have to transition and push through that uh, emotional process by yourself. So just remember that that's the main thing I would like for the listeners to take away. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I, for a long time, I just kind of tried to move forward and not get involved. And it's through getting involved and getting to know other women veterans and getting connected with them that's really helped me move into the next stage, which, I mean, I transitioned six years ago and I still feel like just in the last year, I was like, oh, I've transitioned, (laughs) like out. My life is like, I feel a lot better now. I tell people, I'm telling you, you said it, you hit it. I, I tell people it'll take a good three to five years, fully transition and finally feel like, oh, this is who I'm supposed to be now. This is the new Lila or this is the new Amanda. But yeah, it, it does take time and it's okay to take that time. You know what I mean? So just don't don't put too much pressure on yourself and make sure you connect with other women who have gone before you that you can get that support that you need to make it through. Yeah, and there's like this really cool connection you have with other women veterans. It's like you're, oh, you're a woman veteran, best friends forever. <laughs> right. When we get, I tell you, you are absolutely right, Amanda. When we get together, there's not a stranger in the room. We are oh, instantly. Yeah. We got similarities. We're more similar than different. You know, once yeah. we once we start telling our story, that is, you're absolutely right. It's not a stranger yeah. in the room. Yeah, I love it. All right, so I have one last question for you, and it's what advice would you give to young women who are looking to join the military? Well, I would definitely say that it is a great career option for young women. I absolutely believe that. It will pull things out of you that, you know, you probably don't even know exist in you. It it will pull that leader out of you, the strength that you possess out of you, organizational skills like you never thought you had. multitasking skills, you know, it, it, it'll pull all that stuff out of you. I still think the military is a great career option for young women. If it's something that you really seriously want to pursue, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions and go after the job that you truly want. Um, speak to other women who have served for or who are currently serving if you have access to them. But if not, ask your recruiter questions and and. No question is too stupid. The only stupid question is the one that you don't ask. So ask questions and make sure you get all your questions answered 
before you sign on the dotted line. But it is definitely a great career choice. There are so many opportunities today, even from the time when I was in and got and transitioned out. There are so many more opportunities for young ladies today. And I'm so excited over here on the retiree sideline, cheering you ladies on, breaking these barriers and open up doors for generations to come. But it is definitely a great career option for young ladies. It's something that if, if I could support in any way, shape or form, uh, I would I still continue to offer my, my services to young ladies who are interested in joining the military. Yeah. And so if you listen to the podcast regularly, you know that if you are looking to join the military and you want to find someone who's not a recruiter to talk to, you can always send me an email or find me on LinkedIn or any social media platform and I'll connect you with someone because it's it's not hard for me to find a woman veteran in the career field and the branch that you want to join so it's easy it really it's not hard because like you said Lila was like I'll do it and so that's I just put a note on LinkedIn I'm looking for this then I get like a hundred responses and so you shouldn't feel bad like the only bad question is the question you don't ask and we are like happy to support you and even if like us supporting you means that you decide that the military is not for you. That's okay, too. We want to make whatever the right choice is for you and support you in that. Yeah, absolutely. Just make a just make an informed decision. And like Amanda said, if you decide that it's not for you at the end of the day, then at least you, you did your due diligence and asked the right questions for you, for your particular situation, and were able to make a smart decision based off of your, your situation. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. I I really love what you're doing. I love that you're sharing stories of women and that we can reach more women through sharing more stories in different formats and different platforms. And so it's really cool to get to connect with you one-on-one and be able to have you as a guest. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you so much for uh, having me. And also congratulations to you and keep up this great platform that you are building for us to share our stories. I'm so excited to watch you and follow you as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.